Hey there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. On today's episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be celebrating the Chinese New Year as we enter the Year of the Dragon this weekend and also the 50th anniversary of D&D. And we'll take the opportunity to focus on Chinese dragons in Dungeons and & Dragons and how dragons have expanded in the game over the year and how they interact with other parts of the D&D rules. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we begin, I will remind everyone that, as always, at the end of the show, we will be hosting our after-party chat. That is a live video chat with Dan and I on our private Discord server, which you can gain access to by becoming a patron of the show. Do so by visiting patreon.com slash wanderingdms and join us at any tier, and you will get an invite to our Discord server. Go ahead and accept that invite and uh, join us at a little after the hour um, and on our Discord server for live video chat. We love that every week, so we'll look forward to uh, if you can uh, join us uh, at the end of the hour. So, Paul, happy Lunar New Year. Thanks so um, much. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, it's, I think it's really pretty neat that uh, the, uh, in the, the Chinese Zodi 12-figure uh, Zodiac system, we just happen to be entering the Year of the Dragon while we're celebrating the uh, 50th anniversary of D&D. I, I, I'll say, I'll apologize in advance because there's a lot of celebrations here in New York this weekend. And we had uh, pretty uh, extensive fireworks near me here in New York last night. And they're still going on this, this afternoon, actually. So if folks hear possibly some fireworks uh, in my neighborhood this afternoon on the stream, that might actually be happening. And it's a big deal. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad, Dan, that we're here. Uh, celebrating Chinese New Year, um, and that folks have decided to take time away from their celebrations and join us on this show. I'm sure there's not any other competing entertainment live on television today or anything like that that we need to worry about. So I'm very pleased uh, to have okay. you all here. <laughs> oh, <God>. Great. <laughs> Great. Good point. Good point. I, I, you I, know, I, we're I, not. Maybe uh, there's some sports happening or something cultures. to them. Oh really? Okay, good that. Okay, some maybe. Well, good. So that's our arts are doing their gaming. People are expanding their their. There's there's a big game going on today. That's good. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Which I assume is in celebration of the Chinese New Year and Year of the Dragon. I'm sure it should be. Well, now it is. <laughs> that's that's it'd be, it. Would be very tasteful if it was. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I then learned, we've covered. Yeah, go ahead. I was I was just going to jump in and say we've we've covered dragons in the past. There's been an episode in the past about dragons specifically, um, and so we wasn't sure if we should cover this again. But I think um, I think there's still quite a bit to talk about here. Well, yeah, absolutely, and I think that if we go, if you, if someone goes back into our first full season, I think we have it marked as season two. Technically, it was one of our earliest episodes, actually. Hmm. And you know, so dragons are funny in D and D. Obviously, it's in the title. Uh, occasionally, it's a little awkward that there's such a powerful monster. You don't see it until later in your play career. 
Um, and so they, in some ways, they 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 weirdly remain mysterious of how exactly do they work in D and D over time, as a result. So I think Paul, since the last time you and I talked about them, you know, we've been we've built them out in my Book of War wargaming. Um, I've gotten to test them in my arena simulator more, and so I think that we've all learned uh, more about how dragons work. Uh, kind of in more detail than we than we did like five years ago, I guess it was. Excellent. Good point. Excellent. You know, it's interesting to me. Uh, I was trying to think back about um, content that has featured dragons, especially in early D and D. And of course, we assume that the game is named Dungeons and Dragons because the alliteration is clever and sounds good. And I think historically, we know there's this giant list somewhere of potential names that Gary wrote up right for the for the game. And and I think just Round the dinner table, the consensus was Dungeons and Dragons sounded the best. Um, I think you're right. So, so, so I think it was more that right than anything that um, you know that uh, um, you know th than content specifically featuring dragons. And I wonder how much dragons actually existed in the game back then. I think that you know. I think we all agree that dragons are attractive they're 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 a great marketing tool and back when dragon magazine was in print they usually had like a dragon themed issue every year practically and it would get great sales um and i think that if you you know when you and i have dug into the original D, &D rule book uh dragons actually really stand out is that they have their whole a whole unique rule system just for them right and the the hit dice and hit points don't work like any other monster and they have special rules for their treasure and their attacks and their breaths and their saving throws and how other things attack them and and you can subdue them which is a special rule just for dragons so there's this whole the the monster section practically has this whole special subsection just to zoom zoom in super super focused on dragons so somebody cared about them Somebody oh, sure, really sure. cared about refining yeah. how dragons work, and I don't know how well. Maybe it didn't work the best, possibly. And and of course, you know, the the they had their their primary magazine was named the Dragon, which mm -hmm. of course they eventually dropped the right. the preposition, much like the Facebook. But um, true, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't think of any old modules that really featured dragons. And that was that was I thought was interesting. My little my my tiny bit of research for this episode, I thought, let me think. Let me find some content that featured dragons. I, I was struggling. Well, that's a good point. You know, I when you know Gary's you know initial most famous modules, right? They tend to be like some kind of humanoid society. So it's you know it's orcs or goblins and keeping the borderlands. It's the giants. It's the drow in his GDQ mm -hmm. series. And so usually there was like some you know intelligent humanoid society and i think frequently they'd be like they'd be like one side room and oh over here's a dragon right so uh glacial rift the frost giant jarl jarl has one cavern with a dragon right and uh hall the fire giant king has has one room with a dragon right uh and it tend to be like one off spice um now of course well, of course you you move to the 80s and you can talk about the whole dragon lance series where the group clearly committed to we don't have enough dragon themed adventures in the game we're going to make a whole giant series just to just to solve that that issue 
Dust to um, dragons. That's an interesting point. Oh, yep. Hmm. So it's hmm. a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. Yep. Yep. So what I what I wanted to talk about today was if you go back to original D and D, there were only six types, right? Six types of dragons, mm -hmm. and later there were more. Um, and I personally really like the number six. Works really well <laughs> for me, right? It, it it fits perfectly into uh, classic psychology, like like six or seven things fit in people's short term memory. Most of us mm -hmm. can remember the original six dragons, right? You, you you can you can roll it on a die. You can roll it on a standard pair of dice. Like I need a random dragon, bam! It's one of the six, right? And so they expanded later on, but if we focus on the you know the fir the first the first five is white. You know by colors: white, black, green, blue, red, and then the six is known as the gold dragon. And the gold dragon is very very special. Um, maybe we should pull up the first edition illustration uh, that I pulled out. So the uh, the one that's got a, a one black and white illustration with a red dot there. Yeah, give me just a moment here. Let me pull that up. Um, hmm. So here's the Gold Dragon in first edition, right? The advanced D&D Monster Manual. And I know that Paul, you know, the great illustration there. And I know, Paul, you love the fact that in first edition, they started giving scientific nomenclature to all the dragons, <laughs> right? And so at the top, you can see that this one was listed as, you know, this isn't, this isn't Draco incendiary inflammatory with like the red dragon, right? This is Draco Orientalis Sino Ducks. Um, and the illustration looks very, very different style than any of the other dragons in the advanced D&D game. Um, and it's very obvious, I mean, to my eye, I mean, in the name, you know, the, the fake Latin name totally gives it away. This is intended to be a classic Chinese dragon. Hmm is the mm -hmm. intent of the gold dragon. And you see in the art, it's the only dragon that is illustrated here without wings, right? And that matches the, the classic wingless yellow dragon, which for many centuries has been used on the flag of, of China and used to represent the, the imperial power of the emperor of China. I think you go way, way back and dragons in China could be a whole lot of different animals, but it became standardized like this with this wingless, magical yellow dragon. And that's clearly the communicating. That's what the, the, the six final original type is meant to be here. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, also it stands out, I believe, if I remember correctly, as being the only goodly aligned dragon, right? Exactly. Yeah, hmm. exactly correct. Uh, maybe we could, I mean, we could flip to, and so of course the, the first edition rules are, they're in majority the same as the original rules. So we could, we could flip and actually look in the original rules and look at what Paul was just saying there. So you have, again, in the many pages, several pages, just devoted to dragons, you get this section indicating like what's interesting about the different types. And I've highlighted the, the six type here, gold dragons, is dragons are able to abide anywhere. Like the other types all have a particular terrain that they're associated with. But uh, gold dragons are able to abide anywhere as they are actually a class unto themselves. These monsters are by far the most intelligent of all their kind. And they are able to use magic. 
They can employ, underlined in the book, they can employ spells up to the sixth level, which is the highest level available at the time, hmm. gaining one level for each of their stages of maturity, having one spell for each hit die they have, and then also underlined, like Paul said, if, if you weren't aware, gold dragons are the only dragons which are lawful in nature. All this exception is not noted on the alignment table. Uh, they will often appear as human in some or other in uh, or in some other guise, and they will not usually serve any character. Did, do, do you know anything? And you, you might not know this because I've, I've, it's only coming to me now, which I thought to do the research on this. But like, where where is this coming from? Is this feels what strikes me as most strange about this is this feels like invention from whole cloth here, rather than what's typical of D&D for me, which is to see stuff that is clearly being taken from specific literary references or from or from existing campaigns. Right. Do we know is there how were gold dragons used at this time? Were they used or is this just somebody went on a bender and was like, I, I, we need more dragons. Let me invent some more. Okay, here's my interpretation, right? You 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 can yeah. actually track the 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 expansion of dragon types in the the various chainmail rules that came before this. So obviously you start with red, and it does in fact when it when red dragons appear in uh, chainmail, um, it does specifically uh, mention smog, right? Tolkien smog yep. in yep. the Hobbit. So that's that's yeah, the as, starting as, basis. Uh, Kevin in the chat pointed out. Obviously, there's a big Tolkien influence here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's your classic fire breathing dragon. Right. Right. And in chainmail, in the in the initial chainmail, right, it refers to smog. And the um, the the uh, the nomenclature there is Draco in conflagriatio or Draco horribilis, which get merged in first edition. So then right now, dragons breathe fire. Um, your wizards in chainmail cast two primary attack spells. You get your fireball. And you got mm -hmm. your lightning bolt. So wizards come to the table and they're either fire or lightning wizards and they are opposed. So the second thing that they build out is, well, maybe we could have other dragons that also use the lightning bolt mechanic instead of just the fireball mechanic. So the second thing was the blue dragon that can spit lightning and then having mm -hmm. uncorked that, right? I think the second edition of Chainmail starts going, well, you could have a white dragon that breeds cold. You could have a black dragon that breathes acid. Um, and so I think that gold dragons appear for the first time here, where we're looking, mm -hmm. as an additional type. And to my mind, and I would praise this, like having one good type makes sense, right? You can use this as a campaign element. You can use a gold dragon as something that gives a quest to the players, something that has magical abilities that could possibly help the players. So to my mind, I like that you have five evil dragons that are going to be opponents for the players. And then you've got one, if you want a good dragon that's going to interact with, with the players, there's one of those in the game. I think that's all you need, really. And if they, if they borrow that and allude to Chinese mythology, which you know, uses dragons as a, as a good force, I think that's a, that's a clever honoring of a real-world yeah. tradition. I mean, th that is certainly interesting. And and maybe that's where it comes from. This, this maybe the, is the gold dragon entirely inspired by, by Chinese mythology, perhaps. Now, what strikes me in the text here that we're looking at is it says, they will often appear as a human or in some other guise, right? And 
when I whenever I see language like that in a game book, I always immediately jump to the assumption of okay, that means either a it happened once in Gary's game, and therefore now it's accepted as the standard way of behaving, or b it's coming from some specific literary influence. Um, and so maybe that in this case it's the latter. Maybe somebody was just like, I don't know, we need gold dragons, one one good type, and you know I know a bunch about Chinese mythology, so let me just write some text in there. I guess I could see. It. I I think that's it. I think that's a common part of the mythology, um, kind of like Odin uh, in Norse mythology being the trickster and appearing to people mm -hmm. in different guises, right, and helping them in disguise. And so my very limited understanding is that that's a common part of Chinese mythology around dragons. Um, and to, to my eye, this whole block of text is clearly being lifted from, you know, inspiration by Chinese dragons. And I think it's a great place to take inspiration from. That's, that's interesting. I just find it fascinating that I can't now draw to mind any instances where I can think of, of printed material of either a report of, hey, in this game that, 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 um, Gary or Dave were running, there was a gold dragon that behaved in this way, nor can I find any content, right? Like games, adventures that were published that features a gold dragon in any way, right? It seems weird. This is a it good point. Yeah. I, I think that my take might be that the, the and, I, and again, I feel that, that this presentation in original D&D is efficient, efficient use of the design space. I think that the idea of good dragons this would be my my own theory. Got diluted later on because when you move to first edition, right? The decision, and I, I think there were a lot of this is one of these bad ideas in advanced D D. Frankly, the decision was we need to make these two sides completely symmetrical, and for every number of evil dragons, we're going to have an equal number of different good dragon types, and that's where you get the metallic types of copper, brass, bronze, silver, et cetera, gold, right? So now you have fully six good types. And on the rare occasions when you need a good dragon in a game or a campaign, and they do happen, right? Now it's only one sixth as likely that you're gonna grab one of these things. And gold dragons wind up kind of not, you know, kind of disappearing a little bit. But you do find That's, these other I mean, metallic types in these one-off situations. Yeah, and that's that's I think the, what I'm trying to dig at here. What I find most interesting is, frankly, the very like we we see continued expansion of the good dragons in yes. the stats, right, and the in the in the game books, right, the, in the monster manual specifically. But I don't see them being used. I can't think of any use cases, right? Like, is this just somebody's just having fun going down a down a weird design rabbit hole of like, ooh, that's Let's expand it out for the sake of, you know, filling out the, the roster. I need more pages in the monster manual. Let's chuck more in. I it think it's unnecessary. So and I think it's right. I think it's one of those examples of Gary in advanced D&D, you know, not having a strong editor and going off on these, frankly, the, these unnecessary uh, abstractions. Right. And in this mm. case, mm. at some point, the thought came to him is it needs to be symmetrical between evil dragons and good dragons. And and they and they're not really that useful. Now we can come up. With, okay, so if if we're challenged, right? You and I, I think Paul and probably our viewers can come up with a couple of adventures where good dragons appear. Now I'm going to start with, I believe it was Menser's RPGA series, 
Uh, he's got a number of ad tournament adventures which are driven by a silver dragon named Falx, right? So I believe like the coded yep. modules, RPGA1, RPGA2, RPGA3, begin with a silver dragon named Falx has had some magic potions stolen and he, he, the whole adventure is driven by Falx telling the players, you've got to go get these potions. You've got to go get these dragon eggs that have been stolen. And so again, there, there's the good dragon driving the campaign pay, play with a, with a quest. Uh, you can probably think of others. Um, I mean, I can't, honestly. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm dimly uh, aware of those RPGA adventures. Um, right. I, I think I, I've read, uh, you know, uh, maybe the Achaeum has some, some text about them, but I've never seen them. I've never read them. Have you read them? I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, at least the okay. first two, I think. The first one or two. Yep. What about like maybe some 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 famous video games that we may have um, we may have dealt with recently? <laughs> well, that's that is the one use like as I rack my brain because I was curious to see like what else stand coming up here. The one use case I can think of of this dragon, of course, is from Pool of Radiance, which you uh, played through recently. On Dan plays games from the Elder Times, and in fact, there is known this this uh, entity that you're dealing with this evil entity called um, Tyranthraxus. And it eventually comes out right that he's a copper dragon, which is a real like it screws with you a little bit, right? Because like you're like I know with AD and D and copper equals good. So what is happening here? Why why is the main villain a good dragon? Am I even right. on the right side of this fight? <laughs> right. Yes. Which it's is, it's it, it's it's troubling. Yeah. Right. And which is a great use, frankly. I, I I adore that use case. Frankly, I think that's that's a very clever writing there. Now, the funny thing is that when I was playing through Pool of Radiance uh, in the last year um, for the first time ever, that final boss, right? That's Paul's talking about the final boss in Pool of Radiance was actually somewhat less surprising to me because I'd seen that idiom before, frankly. And if you put, if Paul, if you pull up the image that's got a blue dot on it, right? So Pool of Radiance uh, was released 88, 89, right? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. Here's a here's a suggested adventure in the World of Greyhawk box set from 1983, like six or seven years before that, written by Gary Gygax for what it's for what it's worth, and it's called it's just kind of a little sketch of an adventure the DM could write out in the World of Greyhawk called the Copper Raider, and uh, a kingdom is losing a bunch of copper shipments, apparently to bandits. The players have to go resolve that. And the little part that I had highlighted says, okay, spoiler, again, apologies, everybody, um, to 41-year 40, uh, adventure idea. As the party will discover, the creature responsible for the attacks on the copper caravans is Clonok, a large old copper dragon. Clonok lost a duel with a demon and is now possessed. Interesting. Interesting. So to me, the Pool of Radiance idea was at least a, a callback, right, uh, an homage uh, to Gary's idea here with the Copper Raider of you could use a, a good dragon. It'll be confusing. It's not what you expected. Um, possibly possessed by some kind of supernatural creature. Hmm. And of course, it's it's delightful, you know, in these in these systems, I think, to have that kind of fake out and reversal when you have something as obvious as 
right. the, the color of the dragon to indicate like, right. great, I know this dragon's moral values based on, you know, the color of its scales. Hmm, that's troubling. But regardless, um, you know, it, it's nice to have that little, little thing out. I think we all enjoy that. Um, you know, and I'm reminded now, actually, that I see this trope happen again in the D&D universe, probably in, a, in an area that's going to surprise you, Dan, which is the uh, Forgotten Realms comic book uses this trope. Oh. Uh, interestingly, in a slightly different way, there's a whole plot line. Uh, there is a good, I think, bronze dragon that's a character in that comic. And um, there's a whole plot line where uh, a bunch of evil dragons are raiding the countryside and causing havoc and destroying everything. And it's brought up that this is unusual because they're banding together. And so that's pointed out. Like, dragons are solitary creatures. This does not make sense. Like, red dragons and blue dragons don't get along. They shouldn't be teaming up. This is strange. Right. And, and sure enough, you know, the eventual plot reveals that there is, there is another entity, another creature. I can't even remember what, what the heck it is, uh, but a, a humanoidish creature who has some capability to control dragons, who is forcing them to behave slightly out of their normal uh, area or their, their normal uh, kind of behavior patterns. That's a good plot point. You know, I like, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, a, a story which is got like a, a, a hint that like, it's a little bit unclear about whether this was poorly written or whether this was intentional, right? And I, I personally appreciate like watching a TV show or a movie where I'm like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense in that scene. What's going on? And then an hour later be like, oh no, that was, that was an actually an intentional was- hint that w- that we we knew about so i i actually do appreciate that and even as a player sometimes i've waved stuff off like well that's bullshit that wouldn't that's not supposed to happen right just walk into the trap <laughs> that i could have yep. avoided yep. if i'd paid attention to that <laughs> I, I i've definitely had moments as dm delightful moments where you know something unusual like that have there's some tip off that this isn't what it seems to be right and i get the players to look at me and be like you know they don't that you know that's wrong Right, like, like yeah. they're informing me that I've screwed up the rules, and I go, "Oh, I'm aware. I'm very aware. <laughs> it's just the way it works this time." And they're like, "Okay." <laughs> I will confess that I had sometimes I have a hard time, like, not being argumentative, right? Of like, <laughs> like, like not not giving away the secret. In order yeah. to prove myself right, right? <laughs> letting myself appear to be wrong is really hard for me, frankly. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I, I don't if I try to like project myself into the player's shoes, I'm not sure if I would be clever enough to realize that the response from the DM of like, oh, no, I'm aware means like, oh, 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 it's a tell. <laughs> <laughs> There's something cool happening here, and I need to dig in more. I'd be like, all I right, dude. Totally... Someone, I would, I would immediately jump to like, oh, it's just bad writing. All right, fine. The, the, the DM's just just implementing a, a a poorly written module. Fine. <laughs> I have totally steamrolled that myself as a player, right? Uh, Multiple uh, times, I have I have looked like a bad player for exactly that same reason. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> Let's let's go back to uh, let's go back to the um, what should have been the only good dragon, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. the uh, the Chinese or gold dragon. You know some other stuff that is unique about it in um, original D anD D that sometimes we gloss over 
is it's the only one that is going to be casting spells, basically, mm, right? So the gold dragon, it automatically has spell, automatically talks a human language, unlike, unlike other dragons. And mm. I think other, in original D&D, right, there's like, there's a percentage chance that the dragons might be five or 10 or 15. I think, I think the highest that any other type is 15% chance of casting spells. But every single gold dragon, 100% likelihood, casts spells. Mm -hmm. And if they mm -hmm. hit the right age level, um, they're going to, and again, at this point, there's six age levels. You get the top mm -hmm. level six spells, six level spells in the game. So your, you know, your oldest gold dragon automatically comes in with control weather or death spell or something like that, or disintegrate. That's a that's a big deal. Sometimes we overlook that, but when a gold dragon shows up in the game, you know they they might not even need a breath weapon because they have all these super super magical powers um, mm -hmm. on top of other other things. Um, and then we can look at, um, of course, the um, the later AD and D book, the Fiend Folio, wasn't it good enough to have one Chinese dragon. Let's have a whole library. <laughs> Let's have a whole library of these types of dragons, right? So there's a section in the Fiend Folio, and this would be from 1984, I think, if my memory is correct, or 1982, right? So this section is labeled Oriental Dragons, is what they have it labeled as. Um, you might, it goes on for three or four or five pages or so. I've got an image of part of it. It's got a green dot, if you can pull that up. And there's there's more there's more that come before this and there's more that come after this, but on this particular page you've got the Pan Lung Dragon. My understanding is basically Lung means dragon in Chinese, I think, or Lung. You're supposed to say it again. My understanding is very limited. Uh, the the Shen Lung and also the Tian Lung, right? Which which is the celestial dragon on this page. And we don't have to go through every bit of it, but if you look at that that last one on this page, the Celestial Dragon, and what it looks like and what its powers are and what its hit dice are and stuff like that, it's basically just a recreation of the Gold Dragon. There's, there's very little difference between the mm -hmm. Gold Dragon mm -hmm. and this. And I'm not entirely sure why they more or less just copy-pasted it, more or less, and called it the Celestial Dragon. <laughs> but clearly, that's the canonical mythological Chinese yellow dragon, right? Which is here, the celestial dragon, which is basically the same thing as a gold dragon. You kind of get it twice. Interesting. Among all these other things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That seems to me the, the evolution of the first edition monster books, right? Is that they just more, more, more. Oh, the players like more monsters. Give them more, give them more. And you start to get some very strange things showing up in the, in the later books. Uh, that is correct. Now, if if you now I'm going to Paul, what adventures yeah. have these fiend folio Chinese dragon specifically in them? None. I'm going to say none adventures. <laughs> this one I would personally draw a blank on. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I'm, maybe I'm, our viewers I... can come up with some examples, but I I can't think of any adventures that ever use those. I mean, again, Dan, I struggle to think of any adventures that include any dragons of any kind ever. Like, they are hard and, and to find, few and far between. Part of it, I think, is that, you know, that we want them to be grandiose. I think there was a point made in the chat about, like, well, we want them to be the biggest thing, the biggest, scariest 
right thing. And and if you think about it, that makes sense from the origins, right? It comes like if we if we go all the way back and say like the original dragon in D and D or in Chainmail was coming from Smaug. The fun thing about Smaug is you don't get to see Smaug until the end of the book, right? Like it's talked about a lot. Exactly. Exactly. exists but it is the climax right it is the 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 pinnacle creature and that's i think that's fun i'd like that i would love to run an adventure where it's like known very early on there's a dragon at the end of this um i've run now wait, i i can't think of one case one written module and again apologies everyone for spoilers but too late uh, you know all this stuff's been out forever but i'm specifically going to talk about uh dyson's delph which which we have you can watch us playing the second half of on our channel many years ago, uh, which does culminate in a fight with a dragon. But in that case, it's like a surprise, right? It's like oh, surprise! You didn't realize there's a dragon, even though there's I think there's I think there's mention of the dragon in the rumor chart. Maybe I think in the rumor okay. chart there's like a little hint that maybe there's a dragon. Um, I wouldn't mind it, honestly, if there was more intentional, like, yeah, there's a dragon. You're going to you're going to deal with the dragon and then just to, you know, freak the players out. Right. Let's drive the anxiety up by telling them you're going to fight a dragon. It's going to happen. This is, a, <laughs> this is a really good point, because that's that's clearly the 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 overall arc of the Hobbit, that that's you're going to be your final um, goal. Of course, something else does happen after that. But the, the, the thing driving it and then weirdly in D&D, it, it, they do tend to classically surprise surprise. It's a dragon at the end. And yeah. that's what you see in Bull of Radiance. And that's what you see in the Copper Raider idea. And uh, it, it is that's an interesting that's a really interesting point. I think probably in D&D, you know, since you're going to probably expect to have an extensive dungeon with a bunch of things, right? You'd probably set the dragon up as the mastermind and they have a bunch of subordinate monsters or orcs or kobolds or something in an elaborate lair that you have to drive grind through. Um, I think we can probably find some examples that like maybe Saber River is an adventure that does something like that, maybe. Um, but that's a, that's a good point. That's that I, that I, I think Paul has a good point there, but, um, making that known in advance would be a, would be a possibly better way of going about that. There's, uh, an, an early in fifth edition history. There was a, a, a campaign, uh, I'm going to forget what its name is and maybe somebody in the chat can help me out. But there was a fairly early um, book that centered around dragons and that uh, I played the beginning portions of this book. And the nice thing was it began with a dragon. It began with the players arriving at first level into a castle that's under siege by a dragon. And it's nice because the players aren't really expected to face the dragon, but it's there. It's present. Horde of the Dragon Queen. Thank you, William. That's the one I'm thinking of. Um, and then I'm pretty sure the whole rest of the of the campaign that like, builds you up to like you're going to have to go fight this dragon. This this is a problem. Okay. You're going to have to go okay. deal with this. Unfortunately, I will say the content doesn't hold up. And and when my group played it, we got through maybe the first. I'm going to say maybe two fifths of the book before we were like, oh boy, this writing isn't great. And we decided to like okay. veer off, redirect, <laughs> do something a little different. Great. Uh, but I remember really liking the promise of how that one started. Interesting. Interesting. 
I think in the third edition era, I think one of the official adventures, I think similarly started with like you enter a keep and surprise at low level, there's a dragon in the courtyard of the keep that you have to fight. And I think there was yeah. debate around the time. Now that wasn't like an over, that was the, wasn't a campaign spanning arc. It was just like, you fight this one dragon, hopefully you beat it um, mm -hmm. at a somewhat surprisingly low level. Um, so it's an interesting, I mean, again, I feel like that's someone working, working to like, there aren't enough dragons in Dungeons and Dragons. So we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna intentionally plug that hole. Um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes Probably. it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -mm. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. 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 Want to talk about one other thing here that I think is going to come around to our theme. And that is that this, this is something that really frustrates me. And at this point, I'm pretty convinced that there's no good solution to it. Um, that as some of our viewers have said, like, like Scott did a little while ago, that, you know, D&D &D uses a whole bunch of different systems and rules and they don't really connect together that well sometimes. Um, but if you go back to original D&D &D, or, you know, I think this was true in original and first and second, I think, among the weird, expansive set of special rules just for dragons, there's this table of, how different elemental attack types do better or worse against different types of dragons, right? So here, thank you for pulling this up, Paul. Here it is in original D&D. In first edition, it's almost the same thing. I think they adjusted maybe one of the numbers here. But as you can see, you have down the left, you've got the different dragon types, white, black, green, blue, red, gold at the time, right? And the columns are basically the different elemental types that you see in D&D is water and fire and air and earth. And then there's a plus one or a minus one here for if you attack a dragon with this type, you get a plus or minus one to hit and also to damage. And I don't know, maybe the damage was supposed to be per die or something like that. But the table, so, so it looks, I look at this and I go, oh, the dragon types are associated with the element types. Okay, and I, I try to deduce what this table is telling me, and it's, it's all over the map, and I can't come up with a coherent interpretation of what this is trying to tell me. So among the weird things is that there's this fifth column for lightning <laughs> in the middle, right? So your elements are water, fire, air, earth, we get that, and also lightning. And where did that no, come from? Why, did, why was lightning is a, is what? Is, and oh, then I, that's weird. Right? Is that, right? I was going to say, is that because of the breath weapon type? But it's not like there's any creature, no, no dragons are breathing earth. So, I don't, I don't correct, know. correct. Sorry. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have a device there. <laughs> um, Your time is up, yeah, man. No, no dragons are breathing earth. Yep, yep. <laughs> Weirdly, the alarm is actually for the air that I'm breathing. So I'm glad we're talking about breath issues at the moment. Oh, my air quality monitor went off because I'm getting so heated. I'm getting so heated. Yeah. Right. Why? No, no dragons breathe earth. Right. So, but I feel like. OK, so I try to make sense. I try to make sense out of this. Right. And OK, so you see that. So if, if there's a minus here, that means the dragon likes that kind of thing. So white clearly likes water and, and earth. Okay, so I can go, all right, so white 
uh, is associated with water and water is cold, which makes sense because that's what ice is made out of. And, and white dragons are opposed to red dragons, which are fire. I get that, right? Mm -hmm. The black dragons like earth um, and in, they're almost the only thing that's connected to earth. So I get that black <coughs> dragons live in swampy areas and they spit acid, which, okay, sort of, yes, which is, which is black, I guess, like the earth. And then blue dragons like water and lightning, but I don't know where the lightning element. So water is already taken by white dragons. Okay, so blue dragons like lightning, but that's not a normal element type in D&D. So now I'm confused why that's there. Obviously, red dragons like fire and earth. Uh, so obviously, red dragons should be connected with fire. That's obvious. And earth is connected with black. And then green dragons don't like anything. So... <laughs> So I'm really confused about what, what blue is supposed to connect to and what green is supposed to connect to. Um, eh, eh, and I try to resolve this. You know, it's also weird that, because one thing that does sort of make sense is each of the five bad types is clearly associated with a terrain type from mm -hmm. outdoor survival. And you can see mm -hmm. that in the normal background, actually, that we always use here is uh, black types go in swamps and green types go in woods and blue go in the desert and red types go in the mountains. OK, and white types go in the Arctic, which isn't on the map, frankly. Um, now, it's weird to me that blue dragons live in the desert because that seems like a really bad color combination. That is odd. Like, right? That is, that is strange. Yeah. No. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the only thing, right? Now, the only thing that is left, right? So so if, if, if white dragons are connected to water and red mm -hmm. to fire and black to earth, what's left is air. So maybe blue dragons are supposed to be, like maybe if you merge the lightning and air columns, maybe blue dragons are supposed to be good in the air and the air is the sky and the sky is blue and that's why they are. But if you were evolving a dragon in the desert, I definitely wouldn't want it to stand out as blue. Would seem like a yeah. really bad idea. So these ideas, you know, weren't synthesized at the beginning and there's these weird kind of proud nails as blue dragons don't really fit with their color and they don't fit with an appropriate element type unless it's air. And so I and I have tried to resolve this a number of times, and I just keep failing over and over mm. again. Mm. Mm. That is fascinating. I I can't say that I've ever. I mean, I feel like the looking at the chart, it looks familiar, but I can't say that I ever really took the time to stare at it and think about it or care about it. And I certainly never used it. See, it does. It seems like an anomaly. It seems weird. I don't know why you want to use it. It's a reasonable, uh, it's a reasonable um, um, response. <laughs> it's a reasonable response because every couple of years I keep coming back to this and try to make sense out of it. And I keep, I keep, I keep failing over and over again. Um, so frankly, it's a reasonable response. Obviously this got wiped out of the rules circa third edition or so. Um, it's mm -hmm. one of these things that's tricky. You can't remember it. You've got to open the book. Again, it's part of this extensive rule set of um extra dragon stuff the numbers aren't even very big right it's like plus or minus <laughs> right. one on a d20 to attack is something that i normally drop from my rules anyway so it yeah, sort of yeah. looks like this was gauged to maybe chainmail style d6 combat possibly 
Maybe you should like double or triple the values to make them interesting. And there's all kinds of problems with it, frankly. Now, here's here's one thing that I will say. The, the, we have five evil dragon types. The, this table kind of wants to have five columns, but we only have four elements in you know, traditional D&D. Well, you know what does have five elements is the Chinese system, the, the, the mm. Chinese mythological uh, um, uh, uh, ele- you know, conceptual concept of, of elements or Wu Sing, I think is how you'd say that, does actually have five elements to it. And they're fire, water, wood, metal, and earth. And you know that, you can, that's a lot easier to sync up with red dragons go with fire and white with water and green go in the woods and blue would be like metal because it's electric. And then black dragons would be earth, just like they kind of sort of supposed to be here. But D&D doesn't operate on a five element Chinese system. So it's kind of <laughs> sort of like someone added the Chinese yellow dragon as gold here, and then also kind of wanted five elements to sync up with five evil dragons. But that's but that's totally out of sync with the normal four element D and D system. So I'm I'm just so angry about this. I'm so angry. Yeah. I'm so angry that this doesn't sync up properly. And who 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 is responsible for this? Because I want I want to apply some shame and some blame. <laughs> it is very odd, and I just don't understand why. I can't come up with any reason why you want this. Why is this charting for you? It, and and again, I'm going to fall back on. There was probably some session at Dave Arneson's table or Gary Gygax's table where it came up for some reason that was specific to the campaign. And they were like, yeah, put it in the book. Why not? I think it's canon that, now. I, I think it's a good argument. Yeah. I think the I think there's a counter argument. This could be Dave just having a flight of fancy and scrawling <laughs> this out on one of his post-it notes that he threw in a bushel basket for Tim Cask to deal with later on. Um, <laughs> and possibly never, never got used in the book. And I, I, you asked one of them after the fact that go, what are you talking about? Um, right. and, but it's, it's, but it's in, it's in pump print and it was words right. on the page yep. and we were dealing with it for decades <laughs> yeah. afterwards. Yep. So chalk, chalk this one right up there with weapon speeds, I'd say. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. That is hilarious. Yep. And a thought struck me. I, I want to jump back here just because uh, we're almost out of time. And I just I just wanted to hit you with this one thing because we, we were talking about uh, we're talking about the, the use cases of good dragons in content of which I can only think of the one, which is Pool of Radiance. Um, I noticed you had a, a screenshot here in, amongst the, the imagery. So maybe I'll even toss that up there just for, for, for giggles at the moment. Dan, how many dragons are in Pool of Radiance? Do you remember? Okay, well, uh, this is the only Terran Thraxis that we're looking at. The final boss months is the only one that I personally ran into. My, I'm told that there is a wilderness lair that you can randomly run into that has an additional dragon. I'm told. Yeah, so I'm you get, I sure guess you didn't run correct. into that one? Did you, do you remember yeah. getting the Afridi bottle? Do you know how you got it? Yeah. Really? I bet if we I bet if we went back to the tapes we discovered because it's a hilarious entry in the game. There is in fact, yes, if you're rolling around, if you're running around the wilderness, you can eventually find a cave in which there is a silver dragon. And the interesting thing is you're never allowed to fight it. It's not it is purely really? there for plot reasons. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. 
and and the main the main gist of it is the silver dragon is is who gives you the Afridi bottle if you are nice to him uh, and not uh, you know you don't challenge him. If you challenge him, I think you just get blasted with a fireball and kicked out. You're like, get out of here! The silver dragon's way too tough for you. You're out. <laughs> really? Yeah. You you think that I ran into that during my play? Because I don't remember that you, at all. You, you definitely had the bottle, right? You had the. Afraid I agree bottle, with that. Yeah, I totally. think that's where you get it from. I'm pretty sure that's the only really? place you get that thing from. And I you probably, really, it's I, possible you just totally forgot it because it literally, I mean, this is a thing that lasts, you get like three text exchanges and you're done. They're just like, get out. Weird. And, and when you encounter it too, you're probably way too low level. And you're like, a dragon? And then, you know, and I think it's, it's you know, maybe a little bit trying to, trying to, um, you know, foreshadow a little bit here by, by making it a silver dragon, right? Oh, it's a good dragon. Like, yeah. If you know your D&D, don't piss this thing off, right? And it's weird, again, that they don't use a gold, right? It's it's weird that yeah. once when they expanded the, the good types, it's like mm -hmm. they kept restraining themselves from using gold anymore because I think they were like, we got to keep the, ex the super extra special one off screen for some later ultimate point, right? And you basically never see gold again when you have these other good types of silver or brass, it's like, we're going to build up to that, but then you never actually see gold. I, I really feel that that was wasted design space. I feel that, that all you really need is one good type, right? That again, comes out of an actual mythology, a real world mythology that connects to some other stuff. It is again, a point that I will say original D&D works a little bit better for me it's about something else, not just D&D &D talking about itself. And for me, the one, the one good type would have been enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Well, we are just about out of time, Dan. Do you have any final thoughts on dragons? Or good dragons? I feel like we kind of went down the path of like, this kind of episode is kind of about good dragons, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, pretty much just what I said is I think that there's design space for a gold dragon, for for a good dragon um, in D&D &D to start you on a quest, to like in the Phallic's Adventures, to give you a special magic item, to give you counsel about powerful eldritch things in the world, um, uh, to, you know, possibly be a final boss that's, you know, taken over by a demon. That That's an interesting twist, of course. Um, I think it's I think it's a waste of design space to be making half a dozen good dragons when you use them so rarely to expand a whole bunch of Chinese different subtypes in the fiend folio that basically nobody ever, nobody ever finds use for. But I like I, I you know and I, I like that they hunted for a real world mythology where there is a good dragon type or celestial dragon if you want to call it that that is powerful that communicates to people, that can serve as a guide, that has powerful magic, that can disguise themselves. I, I really like that D&D, &D, you know, honored a non-Western tradition by pulling in the, the, the Chinese celestial dragon into D&D. &D. And I, I like that being the top level dragon. I, I, mm. feel, I feel that's kind of a nice little twist, right? Evil, evil dragons come in many different varieties, but there's only good one. I think that I think that Aristotle said something like that. He said, you know, things can be evil or broken or wrong in many different ways, but things can only be correct fundamentally in just one way. So I really like that there's a whole bunch of different 
corrupt evil dragon types, but there's just one good dragon type in D&D, and it's the most powerful one. It's the Chinese dragon. I think that's a good, I think that's a really good design sense, frankly. I can see where you're coming from. I, I, that said, I struggle to think of when and how I would use it. Uh, what is, like, I, I, it just immediately for me starts asking questions about what is this dragon doing? How long has it been around? What are its goals? Why is it here? Right. Um, and, and I feel like most, most of those options of like, okay, it's a powerful supernatural creature that, you know, wants the party to accomplish some task for it. I'm like, how is this different from the creepy wizard up in the tower? Um, you know, like, eh, kind of serves the same purpose for me. I wouldn't mind there just being no good dragons at all, to be honest. I, 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 I like that. I like that the dragons have this root in the in the fantasy literature of the time, right? You have Smaug, right? Clearly, clearly, the first dragon in Chainmail comes from Smaug. I can't, much like I can't think of pulp literature that includes holy men who heal people. I can't think of any pulp literature that includes powerful, goodly aligned dragons sending you out on quests. That's fair. So that's fair. Yeah. So, yep. But I you don't, want to play chainmail is what you want. I want to play chainmail. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely not crazy about the expansion of into all these nest unnecessary extra subtypes of dragons. Um, I don't mind there being one type of good dragon. Eh, it can exist or not. I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent. Then again, you could argue this, I guess, about generally about all the monster books is that like these are options, you know, take them or leave them. It's a buffet. If you don't like uh, the flavor of dragons in your game, don't include them. You you want a ton of dinosaurs in your in your adventures? Here they are. You don't want them? Skip on, man. Move along. So I'm not, I think there's I'm not that, but I do think about it. Yeah, I of course you know well put. Um, I think that. You know, one good dragon that you can skip over is perfectly fine. Uh, you know, the day that you want that, it's it's in the rules and it has an interesting real world mythology to back it up. Uh, pages and pages and pages of a dozen different good dragons that that ha all have this problem that Paul's talking about. How are you going to use these? Those, you know, you, those you don't need to deal with. Those could have been not there. Uh, viewers, if you have some thoughts on the use of good dragons, historical instances we've forgotten, uh, anecdotes from your own play history that you think that uh, the, the variety of dragons was was important and useful and exciting, uh, let us know. Drop us a comment here in the chat of the uh, YouTube video. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe that will spurn uh, dragons episode number three. We would love that. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all the sites. So please incinerate that like button. <laughs> if you prefer to listen to our uh, show in audio-only podcast format, you can find those podcasts on our website, wanderingdms.com, the most reliable place to find our podcast. It's there every week. Uh, it's also carried by various third-party podcast carriers, such as iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, if you're listening to this show right now on one of those third-party sites and they offer the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. It helps other listeners find our show, and we really appreciate it. 
Yeah, we really do. And of course, big thanks to the patrons who support the show here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. You'll see our different tiers. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, you'll get access to our Discord server where the conversation about classic D&D and dragons and horror games and everything else is going on 24-7. And you'll get access to our after chat in about 10 minutes uh, where we get to continue the conversation by video with our patrons. We would love for you to uh, join us there. Um, and also upcoming this week on the channel, I'm going to have, uh, at least for a while, I'm going to have an ongoing show Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So we had a lot of us tuned in uh, and have, we had a lot of fun last Thursday on Dan's old time mini show, um, breaking out some uh, classic lead based miniatures from the 80s. And this Thursday, I'm going to be taking uh, one of the Star Frontiers Dralocyte miniatures, trying to remember how to make a mold to cast a copy of that. I haven't done that in about 10 years. So live on air, I'm going to be pulling out the uh, silicone rubber and probably splashing it all over my desk. Hopefully not. I'm going to try not to do that. But I feel this is a big possibility. So please uh, tune in. And if you see me doing something wrong, uh, toss it in the chat that I need to, I need to stop what I'm doing. <laughs> so that's Thursday at 9. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, did you Excellent. see last I, Thursdays? Have you had a chance to see last Thursdays? I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, uh, I mean, you know, it sounds like, unfortunately, spoiler, I guess, is that you didn't injure yourself. So maybe I'm a little less. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to cross my fingers for the next one, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what direction Paul's, Paul's home. But anyway, <laughs> please, please, viewers, we're so happy you were with us today. Enjoy the Year of the Dragon here. We're going to be talking more about D&D stuff all year. And don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.